Bruce is a shithole. Bruce is not a shithole. Bruce is a shithole. Ray, we've only just got off the fucking train. Could we reserve judgment on Bruce until we've seen the fucking train? I know it's going to be a shithole. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, the question we ask is still the same. Is it a treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome back to Is This Still Good, a podcast about Belgium and the people who love it. This is the number one Belgian fan cast and dare I say the only Belgian fan cast. I'm here taking counterpoint. Oh, (laughs) Talking over me over there is Gavin. How's it going, Gavin? Uh, Good. Over here on the, I guess, anti-Belgium side of this podcast. I'm here to alienate any, any people from the Netherlands and most of Europe. All right, representing the rest of the world is Gavin Murray. And with us today, we have a very special guest because they're all special. Paula, last name withheld. I, don't, I still don't know how to say your last name. <laughs> Sizzik. All right. But I'll so take it's anything only that comes close. Okay, Paula so Sizzik, yes. How it looks, but it just seems like there would be a trick. Yes. It seems like there would be some Slavic fuckery in there. There would be if we had kept it, but we didn't because of exactly those reasons. Okay. Slavic fuckery, by the way, the working title of my travel book. What do we do on this podcast, Gavin? Well, this is a a podcast where we take a look back at things that may have been important to us once, slip off the old nostalgia goggles, and uh, decide whether or not they're still good. That was good. That was a good intro. You know, I found my way. I (laughs) didn't know where I was going when I started that, if I'm being real, but... uh, you know, that's that's part of podcasting, I guess, when you're professional at it. It's okay. We'll, As... we'll fix it all in post. It'll be fine. We won't. And <laughs> continuing. <laughs> um, Paula, tell us a little bit about yourself. and um... Why are you here? Yeah. Who are one. you? Why are you here? I mean, why is anybody here? Um, oh, fuck. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, Damn. Yeah. Uh, so... I think I've watched this movie. I think I've watched it three times before. So I watched it. Well, in, we haven't introduced say, this movie. Oh, yet, I sorry, guess. No, no. sorry. I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. No, 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 Paula. Who, who, who are you? We're going to spend the next hour and a half <laughs> just really getting into your feelings and childhood, trying to unlock some See? new oh memories well, that guess, you have repressed. I guess this really. Are we going to get into my past lives? Should I start then? Because I feel like that really has an influence. See, you um, joke. Um, yes, okay. and. <laughs> Uh no, what do you, what do you want to know? Uh friend of Sage, Sage was kind enough to invite me on the podcast. In my free time, I'm actually a chief research officer at Nobel. I do organizational design, which means I help companies which are going through cultural change. Um so, change management, but not the consultant you're thinking of. I don't wear a suit. I don't go in and fire people. I actually help companies change. Um yeah, and uh, in my free time, what can I say? I like watching a lot of movies and uh, critiquing them in a like in a culturally relevant way, um, and giving you know TED Talk ideas that nobody ever actually wants to listen to. I've got a whole rant on why Disney movies today are not as good as the Disney Renaissance, but we'll we'll save that one for another podcast. Do you do you get a lot of pushback on that? Uh, <laughs> it's not that I get a lot of pushback. You just have a reason. I don't I don't think I get pushback because one it's actually not something that I share widely with the general okay. public um and then two part two is um 
I don't think anybody feels all that strongly about it. But I feel strongly about it. Yeah, make Disney movies great again, again? is what you're pushing for. <laughs> See, Gavin, you can tell that she has a real job by how quickly and efficiently she actually described what it was. Yeah. I uh, mean, my, my parents are still aren't sure what I do, so I don't know how real of a job it is, but I, I keep showing up. They haven't they haven't fired me yet. Hey, if the, you know the pay, if the check's clear, and you're not evicted, must be doing you, something right. You I guess. get to keep living where you. Live. I, yeah, I, I actually know. I think there's still a moratorium on evictions in Santa Monica. So Good. actually, if I didn't <laughs> if I didn't pay the rent, I could still probably live here for a few months. But I would not encourage that behavior. Yeah, no, that seems like a like a good loophole. I've got a very important question for you, Paula. Oh, God. Have you ever been to Belgium? I have been to Belgium. Oh. I've been waiting for you to ask this question. Yes. Uh, so I have not been to Bruges. I have been to Brussels. Uh, I went maybe 10 years ago. I was doing a trek through all of Europe. Except and, for Bruges. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I did. I think I hit like five different countries in two and a half weeks. It was very much an American approach to travel. So I hit up like Iceland, the UK, I think I went to Brussels, Germany, and the Czech Republic all in two and a half weeks. So it was, it was uh, quite the whirlwind. Um, but when I told people about this plan, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Brussels. I'm going to take the train. Um, there's, I'm going to take the train through the channel and end up in Brussels. And people would always ask me why. Like that was it. They were just like, why would you go to Brussels? Um, and I thought, well, it'd be fun. I haven't seen Brussels. I've already been to Paris. Let me do something different. And I got to Brussels and I hated it so much. I was uh, sexually assaulted within the first 10 minutes of getting there. I had (laughs) nothing too serious. Just a guy tried to force a kiss on me. You know, just just being European. Brussels shit. Yeah. Uh, The guy at the help desk was completely unhelpful. Um, he was as rude, actually, as the, the character in the clock tower in, in Bruges. I had the most disgusting beer of my life. That's right. Real quick, for those paying attention, in Bruges, which was just name dropped for the first time in this podcast, has led to this conversation. But we will circle back. Don't you worry. It's in the title, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be in the title of the podcast. People know what they're getting into. That's assuming that our our listeners are literate. Oh, I'm sorry. That's we're, right. We're big in the blind community. People people can't read. I'm I'm sorry. That's true. Um anyway, what other terrible things? I had some pretty decent french fries. Like I I will give I will give Brussels that. Uh it was gray and it was well, cold. Well, they are Belgian. Uh, the fries were yes. gray. Like french fries are from Belgium. Yeah, the the fries were acceptable. Um but I hated it so much that I went to the airport 4 hours early because I was like I am so done with this city. So I, I would wow. rather sit in an airport than walk around Brussels anymore. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's my experience with Belgium. Basically, Gavin, I'm joining you in the anti-Belgian category. Okay, that was mostly a bit. You know, I don't want now. Now I feel the need to to flip sides and just say I have nothing actually against or for really. Wow, uh, Belgium. I, I don't mean to uh, just soft soft shoot my way out of this one, but. Um, uh, yeah, to, to continue, have you ever killed a priest or a small child? Not to my knowledge. We actually okay. ask this question at every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the getting to know you part of the podcast. Like, you know, it's I, I important. actually figured that would be one of the questions asked. <laughs> I did anticipate that going in. Um, no, I have not 
killed a priest or a child uh, intentionally or accidentally. Mm. But I, I haven't mm. killed anyone that, again, that I know of. Um, but there's still time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we're all participating in capitalism, as we were talking about before the podcast, which, if nothing else, is violence against our fellow man. So, um, if you want to listen to our thoughts about capitalism <laughs> and daylight savings time, hit over the Patreon, patreon.com slash still good. Or just send me money directly. Ever or, launch a real Patreon. <laughs> or Disney. Dis- yeah. Disney mm-hmm. Renaissance TED Talks. It's Taking all there. Hot takes about how movies were better when we were kids than they Look, are currently. Huh, maybe <laughs> maybe we should do a us, podcast. We will get this out on schedule. Um, Guaranteed. Yeah, that that would go a long way. Well, so we're here to talk about in Bruges. Uh, Sage is hosting the podcast and driving this forward, um, and using me like a puppet to <laughs> really move on to the first time that we all heard about this movie that caught the world by fire uh, in Bruges. Actually, I was first gonna like talk shit about Antwerp for about twenty minutes. Yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. I, I've never been to Belgium. <laughs> oh, okay. I was. It, say. it looks like a fairy tale, though. Uh, twerp, twerp is a good insult. I think people should be using it more often. Uh, <laughs> well, twerps are from Antwerp. Mm-hmm. It's true. No, that's on the internet. It's a twerp, twerpy town. I, I see it. Flemish fucks. How? Wh- when did you hear <laughs> in Bruges? <laughs> Wait, when did I yeah. hear it? When did you? Yeah. <laughs> when did you hear in Bruges? When did uh, Bruges in you? Uh, I I'm not exactly sure when I saw it. I feel like in some ways I've always seen this movie, oh. which feels <laughs> very much unlikely. in line with the movie itself um, and the sort of like dreamy atmosphere it creates. I want to say I saw this relatively soon after it came out. Like I seem to remember seeing a preview or something like that and being like, oh, I, I want to see this. I just know for sure that there was like a, there was a pre-Belgium visit viewing, and there was a post-Belgium visit oh. viewing, and then there was this viewing. So, yeah, I've seen it a few times. Did you catch it in theaters, or? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I saw it on whatever the device was at the time when this came out, so maybe maybe a DVD? I feel like it was a DVD era. I don't actually yeah. know when this movie came out. Was... iPhone 1, 2008. Yeah, 2008. Okay. Which... I guess it wasn't called the iPhone 1. Yeah. It's probably um, just called the iPhone. But it is interesting, and perhaps at some point we'll get to this, the noticeable absence of cell phones in the movie, which I think, again, adds to that timeless nature of it. But they're all using landlines, uh, which is yeah. just kind of something that I noticed out here in 2022. I mean, I mean, Bruges is definitely portrayed as a place, that I don't even want to say stuff, but representing the past, like unchanged uh, the whole thing is like there's no bowling alleys in Bruges is uh, because Bruges has to be how it was 300, 500, 5, Well, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Bruges is actually the best preserved medieval town in all of Belgium. Did that we, was, did we that fact was check quote. the movie on that? That yeah, was yeah, a quote no. from the movie. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fact check this movie. Are you kidding me? I, I looked up. Just because I'm so used to movies being filmed in different places, I just wanted to see if it was like actually filmed in France or something because that would have been hilarious. No, it's filmed in Bruges. Yeah, it's in the Paramount Black Lot. Well, I also just think it would be very funny. Like, 
Bruges is a place that I had never heard of before this movie, and I've heard of like four times in my life outside the context of this movie since, four, maybe five, um, and I just think it would be hilarious if they just made up a bunch of iconic Bruges landmarks. I, I would have been down if they just made up the town. I, you know, again, wouldn't have fact-checked it. <laughs> I should, I'm fairly confident sure Bruges, Bruges is a real is a place. Real place. <laughs> It's uh, it's not like a Hans Christian Andersen town. It's like a yeah, Atlantis of uh, Europe. I mean, I think Atlantis is in Europe. That's my take. I mean, wow. the lost style of like Santorini, that kind yeah, of exactly. Atlantis. I, I'm here for it. I definitely had that phase in my childhood of being really into finding Atlantis. Didn't find it. I was I so even, excited. I, don't know if I even uh, saw the movie. I went to Greece last summer and I was going to go diving around Thera and, you know, I would be the one to, uh, to discover Atlantis. Um, and then like, uh, thousands and thousands of British people came all at once and suddenly I couldn't afford to stay on the island. So I, I didn't. <laughs> we lost a true archaeological discovery that summer. I'm, I'm lose really... a lot of Europe to, to Britain. Like in this movie. <laughs> We've lost a lot of the world to Britain. I think that's yeah. sort of like the history of the world. Yeah, I, I remember this movie coming out, and I was so excited about it. And I can't remember if I've actually, if I, when I was watching it this time, I wasn't sure if I'd actually seen it all the way through. And I'm still not really sure. <laughs> but it's okay. definitely a movie that I've put on and fallen asleep at least a couple times, I think, too. That sounds like more of an insult than it is, Paula. Yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't actually mean much. But we'll really get into that. I think nothing this movie to do with. Yeah, <laughs> maybe did that on purpose, and it makes me a little angry at it for for uh, putting me to sleep. I but. mean, I definitely have mixed emotions, and then on the one hand, like I was, I was watching it last night, and I was like, "No, this is interesting. I'm still intrigued, even though I know, I know what's <laughs> happening." But also, there is a part in the middle where it's just sort of like weird, and again, like dreamy, and you're not exactly sure what's going on. Uh, yeah, I can see why you would doze off a little bit. I get it. Yeah. Well, well, I've got some complaints, but, uh, <laughs> that, that like we'll, we'll get into, but, um, Sage, is this the part of the podcast uh, for those following along where we, one of us tries to, uh, yeah. Tell us I mean, what I've, the I, hell we just watched. I don't, uh, I don't have much to add about, about my viewings. I, uh, definitely have, I think I've seen it twice i was really excited to to revisit it uh because i was hanging out with with paula maybe a month ago and in one night she used at least three quotes from in bruges to me and we were just like at a museum <laughs> there wasn't a lot of context for it so i, I invited her to co come talk in bruges i mean i'm open to hearing those quotes now if they're worth saying uh, i'm pretty uh, sure we're saying let's well we'll get it out of the way right now if we are talking about in bruges uh dear audience uh, I suppose trigger warning. There's a high chance that uh, the words "midget" and "retarded" may get used at least once in this podcast. I was gonna ask. I'm like, well, is, that, is that is for the counter that's popping up in the bottom left hand of your brain. Those, those are one each already. I got really excited because I thought you were actually going to do like an actual counter, like in <laughs> Web 1.0. It's like you're the 37th visitor to this website. Um, there will that's, also that's probably be terrible Irish accents, and if you're offended by that, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> okay, it's, it's an Irish accent. They're doing fine. It's it's the they quality. all got to be cops. It's the quality. Wow. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the quality of the accent though that's offensive. <laughs> well, we just have a you know certain 
quality content levels we're trying to hit. We're going to do better than Cool Runnings. That's the still good promise. Oh, I should probably do a proviso here, which is that I'm just appearing on this show as an individual <laughs> and that my, my views do not represent the uh, organization that I work with. So this is just for fun. Now, unfortunately, we are liable for anything and everything you do say, so please. That's okay. <laughs> don't. Well, don't. Yeah, that's fine. It, it's a good thing that we're in a very expensive studio that I'm going to trash immediately after we leave. <laughs> yeah. I like the, the coats behind you, by the way. Yes, the, the coats in the... It's a good uh, selection of uh, clothes and bags. Yeah. It's good thank, shelving. Thank you. Um, I, I think it helps dampen the sound. Um, yeah, yeah, you this, are... By far the most professional of the setups of the of the three of us currently. <laughs> I did not even finish hanging up my sound blanket. Yeah, no, it shows. Yeah, like I didn't even get a sound blanket. Little peek behind. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could blanket. give a shot at summarizing this movie. It's a uh, it's a very very simple premise. You have two hitmen hiding out in Bruges. You have Colin Farrell playing very attractive Irish prick. Hitman number one, um, as is, is Farrell at his best, and uh, Brendan Gleeson playing Ken? Okay, I'm bad with character names, but I think it's just Roy Ken and Harry, so I got it. Um, the, the older Hitman who was with them at the time, and uh, they got there because Colin Farrell uh, shot a child through a priest. <laughs> that is the plot of this movie. There's no better way to... To describe that, they have to lay low in Bruges because they can't be in London. Where is Bruges? It's in Belgium. And Colin Farrell is dealing with a lot of guilt and a lot of hatred for Bruges, the uh, the fairy tale town that Brendan Gleeson loves and wants to go on all sorts of cultural things. They they do that for a while, and Colin Farrell falls hard into the guilt of the terrible things he did on purpose slash accidents, um, and he gets suicidal, and he tries to act on that. But Brendan Gleeson runs in and stops him, and uh, by stops, I mean decides not to kill him, which was his secret task for the whole Bruges. And then Harry comes in as Rafe finds to finish off the job. I it's missed some just texture, Ray Fiennes. but it's just Ray Fines as Ray Fines coming in to finish off the job. A very colorful and cursy and slightly homophobic Ray Fines. <laughs> I'm missing a lot of texture, which is what the movie is, but that's enough plot that if you haven't seen In Bruges, what are you doing? Watch In Bruges and come back. But it's okay. You're you caught don't, up don't and you have the context to. You could watch a trailer. Right. Actually, you should finish this podcast, watch the movie, and then listen to this podcast again. There you go. And but then you should go to In Bruges, and then you've had the whole experience. Go to In Shut up, Gavin. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, but in another real way, In Bruges is also a metaphor or an allegory of purgatory. Whoa. And it's a meditation on guilt and what it means to suffer and be human. So, oh, man. Yeah, that's right. I just took it there. Did I miss any important plot points? Um, there's some side stories uh, involving a uh, little person actor, um, a drug dealing slash mugging couple, and... A couple of obnoxious it. Canadian and American tourists. 
Yeah, that, that's about it. So, no? Okay. <laughs> See how quick and efficient that is, Gavin? This, mov- this movie is pretty linear. It's, it's, it's not, yeah. not throwing a lot of twists and turns. There's like one wonderful twisty scene, then the rest of the movie kind of happens. I, f- I feel yeah. like that describes a lot of movies. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not saying the this movie is special in that, in that case. I'm just saying yeah. that there's, it's, it's, you know, aside from the scene with the attempted suicide, which has a lot of like, you know, putting cards on tables, realizations, etc. Drama. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm just saying most of the summaries that we do on this, on this podcast are a lot of, uh, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, which informs this, and then this happens. And my summary for in Bruges is still just they're in Bruges for a while, and then it gets violent. <laughs> but it actually won. I want to say that the screenplay was nominated for several awards the year it came out, and I think it Makes won sense. BAFTA. So it was. It, it may be linear. It, it may be a straightforward oh, no, screenplay, I, I, but I, like it was again, really popular. I am not suggesting. Yeah. My 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 argue of simplicity is not an insult. Yeah. Well, Gavin, I just don't know what to believe with you because first That's you fair. were anti-Belgium and then you were neutral Belgium. Uh, you can't can't hold me to nothing. No. I'm out here dodging and weaving. <laughs> so, in Bruges comes to us from Martin McDonough, who uh, started out as a playwright. And this script does, to a certain extent, feel like like a play. Pretty pretty centralized. Feels like it could be adapted. Uh, pretty easy. Um, Gavin, I'm, I'm not sure if you know this, is the same guy that did Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards, and uh, is currently developing a movie that I'm very excited about, which also has Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson reteaming as friends who stop being friends. <laughs> That's all I know about the movie. It'll come out this year. It's got some weird Irish title. You should do it, you should do the trailer for it with just that. <laughs> it's got two guys. They're friends and then they're not. It's got some weird title coming to a screen near you. That's all I know about it. He Raves, is also dating <laughs> He is also dating Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh. Power good, couple. Good for both of them. Yeah, I mean, I know him as the Three Billboards guy. I'd forgotten that was connected to In Bruges, but that makes sense. He seems like he's got a style that he's working in. Yeah, it's just like those three movies are spread out across like 11 years, so it's 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 easy to forget because he's not knocking them out all the... Although he does have a brother who makes very similar movies, I believe, Neil McDonough. I feel like he's really cracked the marketing... Uh... His movies seem to get like the budgets seem low, but the marketing budgets seem high because I was hyped for all three of those movies. Yeah. Uh, until mean, until except for when Seven Psychopaths came out and got like roundly uh, pooped on by every critic that I could find. But it did have like a good marketing campaign. Like it I did, was yeah. very tremendously aware of that movie. And I was excited. And then you know, Three Billboards obviously was extremely successful. Um. Gavin, what do you think of this movie, though? Well, let, let's talk about it a little bit first. Let's not. I don't mean not, like rank it as right if it's still dessert. good or not. Just <laughs> this is me asking you to talk about in Bruges. Um. Well, I will say like to talk about the script, which you'd started 
mentioning like as a um something that was lauded at the time and does feel very kind of like a play there's a lot of very small scenes that are happening this movie is predominantly two characters talking to each other um various couples talking to each other and everyone is witty a little bit weirdly racist and um but like and and no one really wants to be in the same room as each other but they're all kind of like you said stuck in purgatory and it 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 moves along very quick and i think that on the page i bet this was this had to be a wonderful thing to read i would have been so excited to see this come across like my desk um so yeah i just wanted to lob that if you guys have any things you want to hop in on that too yeah honestly um i i have a few problems with this movie that i'll talk about later and none of them are are in the script there's some directing choices and technical choices uh, that I, I feel do slight disservice to what's what's a pretty tremendous script. Um, and you do have to look at it from 2022. There's some uncomfortable things in, in this script uh, not that, like, seem... And even in 2008, when I'm maybe a freshman in college, like, it feels Same. uncomfortable, like, as I'm watching it. Um, and s- s- some of the lines... Like when when I joke earlier that like to talk about this movie the the words midget and retarded get get thrown around a lot but they they also are often in the same sentence that's the the kind of of quote flow in this movie. Um, there's also some homophobia too. There's Spr- there's also a lot of uncomfortable homophobia, um, which I accept in my crime movies to a certain extent just because I don't. <laughs> It's the part where I pause <laughs> and make what should have been normal feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I I accept that because of all the Sopranos and Gamora and like anything that's mob or crime toned usually involves a lot of homophobia. Doesn't mean I need to see it, but it doesn't always feel inauthentic. I'd rather it wasn't there. Um, there's just there's just other parts of this movie that that, that feel fucking off, man. <laughs> I think they try and uh, have their cake and eat it too, and mm. then a lot of the inappropriate comments are put into the words of Ray's character. Mm-hmm. And like Ray's character is not necessarily a good guy. I mean, aside no, from this is Colin murdering, Farrell, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like aside from him being a hitman and, and murdering a priest, like it's clear that he's not like the most sophisticated character. So on the one hand, like yes, they're positioning it as like he's uncouth and this is his character, but. Also, the movie kind of sympathizes with him and like finds really what he says funny. Wants you to care about him, so yeah. it's like which, uh... like the the innate charm of Colin Farrell True. would do that. I feel like there's a there's a lot of movies that uh that create sympathy for for antiheroes um by like just letting the natural charisma of a performer take over uh, some of the terrible things they say. And I feel like in this one, it might have been the other way where once they cast Colin Farrell, they just give him terrible shit to say to not make him too charming. And uh, hmm. follow-up question, Paula. Is uh, is Colin Farrell the most attractive man to ever exist? Um, He's definitely in the top five. I'm really mm. glad you brought up this question. I think oh, yeah. this merits excellent. Uh, I was actually impressed at how like unattractive they make him in this movie. 
Um, Disagree. <laughs> he looks he, well. I mean, like comparatively, right? Like he looks kind of like a sad sack for for a lot of the movie, and it's only when he dresses up for his date when you're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something here. Um, but yes, really quite attractive individual. So five stars there, no complaints. I mean, he's a he's a fuckable penguin. <laughs> That's what I learned this. Month. I watched a lot of Colin Farrell this month. <laughs> Me too. I mean, yeah. And I just, mean, he's objectively the hottest penguin. And just to be clear, we're talking about Penguin, the character from Batman, and not the flightless animal. Sure, if you say so. Okay, just just wanted yeah. to clarify. Now I want an Irish happy feet. Are you sure that clarification doesn't make you have to rethink, Sage? No. No, 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 that's actually perfectly in line with <laughs> what I anticipated. Yeah, this is in line. Yeah, no, I mean, Colin Farrell's an extremely charming person, and he often is playing a bit of a douchebag and in this one he's playing a lot of a douchebag but who's gone through something traumatic by accident and has crossed a line that he's not comfortable with i want to say that when this movie came out so this is back in 2008 they were still very much trying to position colin farrell as like a leading man right i want to say he did alexander which was like this crazy terrible flop um, and then this movie came out and it positioned him as like, oh, actually, he's a really good character actor. Uh, so I, I do think in the cultural realm, this was this movie helped change perceptions of Colin Farrell. So this was Colin Farrell's pivot. I, yeah, I think it was this. And I guess there was another gangster movie that he starred in at around this time uh, when people started reconsidering what he could do. Well, he was, well in, he was in Pride and Glory and Miami Vice pretty close to this. Uh, Miami Vice kind of falls into that that other category, I suppose. Um, Carl Farrell's a tremendously talented actor. I think there's very few things I've seen him be bad in early in his career, but he's certainly positioned as, like, the pretty boy. That's still how a lot of people think of him. When when the Batman finished yeah. and his name came up in the credits, multiple people in my audience went, what? And mm. the person right behind me goes, but, like, but isn't he a pretty boy? <laughs> He's that sexy vampire next door. Uh, but yeah. I've seen horrible bosses, and I know he can be ugly. <laughs> oh, God, that's right. He's in Fright Night. Oh, he's hot in Fright Night. <laughs> oh. But he just started making like just really interesting choices, like starting, this, starting on, on this path from Dead Man Down to The Lobster. Um, he's pretty good in True Detective. He's pretty good in everything. Killing of a Sacred I mean, Deer. And I'm still a huge fan of, uh, that's right, I'm going inter- to mention Intermission once again, which he opens up by being a charming douchebag. <laughs> He's that, that uh, punching a woman so in the face. Yep. <laughs> there he is doing, doing his thing. And he actually has a, a whole speech about it in this film, too. He's like, well, I wouldn't hit a woman, but she came at me with a bottle, so right. it was self-defense, right? He's, there was nothing I could do about it. You know, working in his wheelhouse. That's, I mean, that's more or less my stance. Laying on, on thick charm and just hitting uh, women that he's meeting within the first like ten minutes of meeting them. Look, I think if if anyone or anything comes at you with the with a bottle, uh, try not not to shoot them, but you can definitely act in self defense. Women, children, monkeys, like yeah. How many monkeys with? I want to revisit that comment I just said, and that knowing someone longer than ten minutes doesn't make it more okay to hit them. Um, moving on. <laughs> no, no, let's, let's um, continue upon this. this <laughs> upon watching this movie again, um, I was reminded that I had not, 
um, that I, I don't think I sat through this entire movie after this is my probably my third time watching it. And this time I, I started early enough that I was awake throughout the whole thing. And I was really trying to tackle what was off about it that was making me so sleepy. And from the get go, I hate the score for this movie so very much. It actively works against everything that this movie does that is charming or interesting. <laughs> and it's like if lullabies were sad and it's just like, why don't you go to a depressing sleep place rather than spend time with these characters who are kind of interesting. And anytime the movie is successfully going to be funny, it's like playing sad soap opera music behind it to make you feel bad about enjoying what you're seeing and it was extremely upsetting for me yeah it it's it really works against what i think the rest of the movie is is trying to do um I, there's very few moments where like the score and the tone of the film actually line up uh it's it's really interesting i was trying to think of an of another movie where the score works against what the movie is doing and i can't just because like Scores don't stick out unless they're amazing. Most scores are just supportive, and so, you don't think about them. There and... was a great YouTube video, which I saw, which actually talked about Avatar, like the James Cameron <laughs> yes. film, to be the clear. The box office smash. Exactly. The one that appeared and then disappeared and left no meaningful impact on culture whatsoever. Um, that spawned a series of films that continue to go down in history as eventually coming out it, and it still hasn't <laughs> but there is an avatar there is a pandora i guess in disney world um anyway anyway the point yeah, is that's i right. guess disney owns avatar now jesus christ i guess originally the plan for the score of avatar was to have it be like What's the best way to use it? Uh, like more world music, like the the composer oh, okay. or the score. Like they actually went out and they found like lots of indigenous instruments and like not at all your typical score that you would have for a film. Um, and they developed this whole score. And then when they matched it up with the movie, it didn't work with I forget the studio heads or James whatever. Like it didn't match up, and so like they threw it out. And then they went with a totally standard movie score for Avatar. So that that is one that comes to mind in terms of like the intended score, which again we didn't hear, but the intended score um, was actually very different than than the final product. And yeah, I'm saw. wondering how if that would come off as extremely offensive because like that movie's already a borderline, <sighs> you know, it's uh that is it's so very imperial. I don't know. I I, <laughs> I I don't know how it would be received. I know yeah. that the intent was respectful, like, and I I do think they worked with like a lot of experts from around the world. Um, but yeah, the final product did not at all match up to the original intentions. If if you want uh if you want an example of like how much a score can change a movie. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Raid, which is an Indonesian martial arts flick where they just you want you want to quickly summarize a movie. They go up a tower to take out a crime boss. Everything goes wrong. And it's 80 minutes of, of knife punching. Uh, it's tremendous. And the original movie has uh, like a, a more classical score, like it's got orchestral instruments. 
um, it feels a little bit more like a horror film in, in parts. Uh, and then when it got brought over, uh, Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park and his friends just did a whole new score for it and turns it into the most kick-ass music video I've ever seen. They're very different feeling films. Also, huh. the music knows when to go away. There's, I mean, this movie does do a lot of stuff without score, but then it just comes back and then like kind of violently shoves its way into your face. <laughs> I did notice the score, and I'm I'm not really a music person, so scores don't usually stand out. But I I did notice it. I think what they were going for was again like a dreamy, timeless kind, just just kind of weird and off atmosphere. So I thought it kind of worked. I'm not saying I loved it, but like I think that's what they were trying to do. Your mileage may vary. It certainly does. <laughs> Your, your, you... your kilometers, uh, considering we're in the EU. All right. So every episode, I try to force Gavin into the cinematography corner. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Do you have any inspired director of photography thoughts about this film? I know I you described it as gloomy. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 I don't I don't love the way it's shot. It feels kind of like it's an independent movie. It looks like an independent movie. It looks like they were working with what they could do um it's a lot of you know two people talking it sets the scene and then it's close-ups of people's faces pretty often um the action sequences are pretty... Farrell's face <laughs> like you <laughs> get action... real close on that handsome man the action sequences are pretty contained but very functional um the moments that really stick out to me and partially because either they work really well or really don't but i found them charming is specifically the uh, assassination of the priest scene is extremely fun. Again, the score comes in and tries to make it extremely serious. And the little kid's head wound when he gets shot in the face, to me, is very funny. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> that scene, it's not like the score is working against it. It's just like, that scene shouldn't be funny. Uh, well, I mean. Unless you I, just have like a weird mannequin with some tomato fun. on it. The movie, sh the, that's, the th that's the thing that's upsetting to me is like, I'm used to crime movies and and these these movies work really well if, as comedies. You could let it be a comedy. These characters are in a ridiculous situation in a country that isn't on its face, just kind of funny. That's I why think, the title works. It's called I In Bruges because no in one's in Bruges. intentionally play that scene for laughs, it does not work when Colin Farrell legitimately tries to kill himself later. Like, there's an emotional crux that, like, really works for me around that time of the movie, and I just wish they had shot the, the priest boy scene, the scene, not the priest boy, um, better. See, where, where the priest isn't saying the little boy, because that's silly. Like, that makes me laugh because yeah, it's that, not that good was, filmmaking. that was dumb. And then and, you but also so they can bring see what is the... <laughs> clearly not a real human <laughs> with a, a slice out of the mannequin missing. Like, it's... It's not good. Yeah, I mean, when play people are in dark places, they become very funny, which is, again, something this movie is doing. Like, mm -hmm. you make bad jokes when you are hurting, when you are scared, when you are afraid, and when you are going through trauma. Uh, I know I do, and um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think you can have that and still have deep trauma and still get to places that are vulnerable and real. 
And I think part of this movie not allowing for that to happen is why it's harder for me to accept those moments where it does get more real. That being said, the the point in this movie that does work the best for me is when um, Ken is being told by Harry that he's going to have to kill his partner. And from that phone call all the way to the confrontation outside of the children's park is by far the strongest this movie is, in my opinion. It is at its funniest with Ken on the phone call pretending, going through these auditory motions of like, oh, yeah, he's walking out the door. There's some fun miming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then um, that wonderful moment of him drawing the gun while walking up behind Colin Farrell as Colin Farrell puts his own gun to his head and he drops his gun because he's about to kill his partner and grabs the gun out of his partner's hand to stop him from killing himself. I love it. And yeah. all the cards are on the table. All the drama works. It's still very funny. And I think the score is not, is like kind of sucks away at that moment, which is great. We just let these two actors act because they are very talented actors. <laughs> yeah. And that's when like, like Colin Farrell gives some, some grade a cry face. And I don't think the, the score gets in the way of that also the scene before that you were just talking about with uh, just Brendan Gleeson on the, on the phone with, uh, with the person we haven't even seen yet. Um, that's all, that's all one shot. And it doesn't mm -hmm. even call attention to that. You you could totally go through that four minutes or whatever and, and not notice. But it's just one shot, usually medium close up. Um, it just like really pulls you into what's going on, even if you can pretty much predict that that's what's going to happen. I think there's an interesting contrast between that, which I agree. Like even rewatching it last night, where ken is advancing towards ray and he's got his gun drawn and the focus is on like that that's really compelling and i think it's also part of the contrast because for the first 20 minutes of the movie you actually don't know why these guys are here like i did time yeah. it. you don't find out about what who they are or the really what their relationship is or why they're in bruges until about 20 minutes in and so i think that I think that might be an interesting contrast of, you know, the aimlessness and purposelessness of the first 20 minutes versus yeah. like, okay, now we're starting, like things are being put in motion. Action is happening. Things are advancing. Yeah. I mean, you, you immediately know how they both feel about being in Bruges, even before you see either of the actors. And like, that is more important for the actual story than why. I know it's a little off of, the cinematography topic but i i do appreciate all the setups and payoffs I, I i from a writing perspective i think that's pretty tidy like you see you see ken count out coins which he then uses later um mm -hmm. to alert people that he's about to like jump off the the building harry says like i'd love to see bruges one more time before i die and then he goes yeah. to bruges and he dies um i mean all of the all of the setup with like the priest says the boy. And right. Then... And, and <laughs> that, then, that's not the best example. Uh, and that Harry's all about his honor and how, like, he, he says repeatedly. Multiple and they, they do the in those, like, upfront zoom in close up shots. Like, well, if I killed a kid, I would just shoot myself in the face. That's it. Immediately. Wouldn't, yeah. Like, wouldn't wouldn't think twice about it. That's just Fuck what Fuck my do. wife and kids. So. <laughs> Killing I myself. Like, I feel like that is one of the a few things in the script, though, that, like, to me, I wish they'd established that a little bit better. Because mm -hmm. I, I kind of just 
I almost needed one more rant about his principles because I'm just like, why, why are they trying to kill Colin Farrell? He did it. He did the job he was paid to do. Because he messed up. Are you? Are you? Are you? You can't. Are you being serious? Yeah. No, I'm being serious. Because I don't agree with that. It's like what? What's what? What? what, I think the movie definitely sets it up that like Harry is a man of honor with whatever bullshit that means for him because he's just. Another violent man where honor is is doing what I say and and not fucking up. And I mean, it was his first job. I cut the man some slack. That's all. You know what? All right. So here I'm going to go. <laughs> I think Harry clearly design. establishes he's not going to do that. <laughs> like you really do need to have strong feedback from people. Uh, like you you can't allow these these slip ups. Right? It does set a bad precedent for the rest of the organization. Um, so mm-hmm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you like murder your hitman necessarily, but yeah, sending sending them to to Bruges as punishment. Um, is is at least valid like that you would definitely need to have a conversation about that with your with your employee there's well, a... i guess to, to to harry's credit like the in bruges part is actually the reward for i'm right. not sure what <laughs> um it, just just it's so a fucking fairy enjoy... tale Gavin. yeah one more time so he can see the swans in the canals before he dies who doesn't Doing fucking love swans i don't fucking love swans let's let's, let's, let's turn into this Swans are dicks. Gavin, you're not invited next time calling us. Go feed birds. That's right. Yeah. Fair. I feel like, oh, and there's a peacock outside of Harry's phone, <laughs> outside of Harry's window when we first see him. And a uh, strong take on, on that as well. Peacock's asshole birds. So, like, I, I got the character thing they were going for there. I love but. me some peacocks. <laughs> but you're at least consistent on that stance. <laughs> I went out uh, recently to to a restaurant like north of Malibu, and it just had a bunch of peacocks running around. Uh, Gavin, I'll never take you because <laughs> you don't deserve Malibu. You don't deserve nice things. Wow. Um, I'm staying consistent now. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm feisty over this. Peacocks are asshole birds. I have seen many peacocks attack people in my life. I'm okay. Have you ever been attacked by a peacock? Uh, haven't been attacked by a peacock. Not However, I I did go to an ostrich and emu farm, um, and mm. that was um, I thought it would be really fun. It was it was not like they are just dinosaurs. Because because the thing you have to think about with an ostrich is like it's got a long neck, right? Like that's sort of one of the defining characteristics yeah so like the thing is like if you have food in your hand they will use that log neck to like jab at your hand fortunately it doesn't have teeth it just like it just let, look at this I'm, I'm knocking the mic around i'm trying to act this out um, <laughs> for, for those of you at but, home like, I'm, I'm miming, terrifying gesture yeah happening. like it takes its beak and it like snaps it around your hand as it tries oh. to t- and like they've got the scaly feet um so mm-hmm. so yeah, uh emus are also evil. Um there was that emu war in Australia or something like that. Um so I don't mind birds as long as I don't have to touch them or be around them. <laughs> so is there no follow up on the emu war of Australia? Yeah, I was gonna say we can you had no history lesson for us. Oh, like I'm okay with it. Sorry, I didn't I didn't prepare my emu history uh lesson, but yeah, that's that's a famous thing. Like they're they went to war against the emus and lost. That's the most oh, important takeaway. The emus the, won. The Australians did, or like the koalas or the dingoes, or is this like a battle of the five armies thing? Um, I believe it was emus versus Australians, and the emus won. So, see, yeah, I was sure. picturing like Swiss. Uh, is it Swiss Family Robinson, where they ride the emus to fight the pirates? 
What side were the Vietnamese on? <laughs> That's yeah. my favorite like recurring bit of this is just like Colin Farrell just super impressed by by the veracity of the of the Vietnamese, Vietnamese. army. <laughs> I don't just see what bet against the Vietnamese. I don't see what the Vietnamese nowhere. has to do with any of this. <laughs> Whoosh. Uh, a little bit after the first time he brings that up, he's, you know, being mean to more Americans. And uh, it, it's almost like he's mad at Americans because of the Vietnam War <laughs> and not for any classic European stuff. What what nationality is this writer-director? Is he Irish or? Uh, he's from the one of those aisles. I don't know okay. for sure. I could find out very fast. Yeah, this movie does take a stance against American tourism, for sure. <laughs> Born and brought up in London, the son of Irish parents. Okay. Yeah, I, the one of the 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 reason. So, plot wise, you didn't mention that Colin Farrell's character, after his partner declines to kill him, puts him on a train and sends him away, so that he can have a showdown with his boss who's coming as a matter of principle to finish the job um and then the cops promptly arrest and return colin farrell to bruges for assaulting a canadian couple because thinking they were americans because bruges <laughs> is actually purgatory and you can't get out of it let's it's go deep go deeper go for it <laughs> i can tell you want to i think that's pretty there no, no, no. I mean, like, this is, again, this is something I've seen on the internet. I have no original thoughts. It's just whatever <laughs> I've seen or heard on the internet. Because, mm -hmm. again, the internet is always correct. It's where I learned about the Emu War as well. Um, wow, now I'm really questioning all of my knowledge. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the, the whole idea is that Bruges is actually purgatory. And they have a whole conversation about it, right? Like, they go to see yeah. um, the, the paintings by Bosch. And they're talking about Judgment Day. And you look at this as They're essentially if they believe in heaven and hell, right? Colin Farrell's character is that is, is another brilliant guilt. moment where um, I think because yeah, they're about to un embark on that conversation, and it's instead of being in one scene, they bridge it over two, and it's them walking, and then one of them goes like, "I mean, do you do you believe in heaven and hell?" And they just say no. And then it cuts to black. <laughs> it's pretty good. It cuts back to the next thing. You're like, all right, just kidding. We will have a conversation about this. We got nothing else to get to. Let's talk about God. <laughs> and there's there's an argument that essentially, like, Ken's character is like a guardian angel, right? He says, like, no, I believe he can change, right? He's willing mm -hmm. to defend yeah. him, whereas Harry is the one who is willing to, like, punish him forever. Like, nope, he, fu he fucked up. He's got to be punished for it. Um, That's fun. And yeah. then, and then at the end, of course, Ray is shot, and he's maybe dying, maybe bleeding out. We don't actually know. Um, but he actually decides, like, he's no longer suicidal. He wants to live again. So it, it's an internet theory, but I think dies for his sins. Yeah, they see him crawl out of the cave three days later. Someone. I think two, two uh, I, did, I didn't see that part of the movie. Had written and done his <laughs> thesis. But and like, the, I think, uh, I the think professor like did enough that he started using it as yeah, like a no, film exercise where we had all, everyone yeah. in this class would film this short film and we get to see like how everything was different. Um, how how much direction matters in a film, which isn't something you, you always realize going into film school. <laughs> Most people think movies make themselves. I certainly did entering film school um, subconsciously. And uh, this movie is about a girl 
who tricks a guy into killing her boyfriend. You know, kill my boyfriend and we can be together. Tales all this time. They get to the apartment to do it, and it turns out that she neglected a very important thing, which is that the boyfriend is blind. Now, that does not stop the blind boyfriend from pulling out a gun and waving it around, <laughs> trying to, like, find where people are and threaten them. It's very funny. It's, like, the tone that a lot of this movie is. And mm-hmm. also, like this movie, the uh, the new man sticks around to, to psych himself up to, to kill the boyfriend. And the boyfriend, so dejected by the day, shoots himself. <laughs> so watching it, it's it's still funny. It's it's how the movie works. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this whole third act of Id Bruges, just it just felt like this little short film that I got to do in uh, in film school. So I've got a tremendous amount of good, and I and I do think the entire third act, like from. Uh, from that phone call we talked about earlier on. Um, I don't know if that would really all be the third act. Third act's probably like well, where Ray Fiennes shows up. Um, yeah. After only hearing his voice for two-thirds of the film, it just cuts to him on the other end of the phone, and he destroys the phone. And, uh, Paula, quick question. Uh, are you an inanimate object? I am not a fucking inanimate object. Um, no, that that is one of my favorite lines from this. What film. about you're me? a fucking inanimate object? It's an inanimate fucking object. Like that's that's an important distinction. You're an inanimate fucking object. Uh, yeah. And then he spends just like too much time apologizing for it. <laughs> too much of the movie time, not of the character time, which I love. <laughs> I do love how much of this of this movie is devoted to. To just moments, it, it it probably could just skip past. Yeah, I was actually just thinking, I'm like, why why does the middle of the movie feel a little bit slow? It does sort of feel like it takes a meandering side path to, like, the date with Chloe, and also, mm-hmm. like, they end up at her apartment, and actually she's got a psycho ex, but then, like, the next time they hang out, it's at a movie set, and they're doing like there there are it's some because it's it's all sub and side plots for like the middle of the movie everything that's yeah. going on in colin farrell's life is not the plot it's character growth it's 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 important stuff but like just the plot is is wow i did not mute my my phone the plot is is colin farrell's partner going to shoot him and then what happens like yeah why are they there and what happens next? And everything that Colin Farrell's doing while they're just waiting in Bruges is not plot. No, so but I don't, is, I don't know how is, to fix that. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's something that necessarily needs to be fixed. Right, but I don't know how to make to it me, not it's that, the slow part. That what to me, and you'd mentioned it earlier, and it was a thing that clearly worked for you, Paula, is that, um, that we don't know why they're in Bruges for the longest time, and they don't know why they're in Bruges for the longest time. But, like, we also aren't given the text that Colin Farrell shot a kid for quite some time. And so we're not even given the pieces to guess why they're there. For and, long. and that's the part that was hard for me because I yeah. don't care about the buildings in Bruges. And it's, I, it's <laughs> interesting because... History is just a thing that happened, guys. Jesus. <laughs> wow. You know, it was, again, it's... It's the longest standing, best preserved medieval town in in all of Belgium, and you're just you just want to go bowling. You just want to show go me to a the bowling pub. alley. Wow, yeah, history is literally neon. the wow. plot of the movie we're in, Gavin. Jesus. So it was interesting because watching it now again, because we're talking about nostalgia, 
I tried to remember what I thought the first time I watched this movie because mm. now going like now that I've seen it, I'm like, I know, I know what happened and I cannot, I can put it into context and two things stuck out. One is all I can remember is I was like vaguely confused when I saw it the first time, like sort of waiting for things, but, but like, I didn't, I didn't have like a positive or a negative. I was just remember being like, Oh, all right. I, I guess they're just in Bruges. But actually, if anything, <laughs> that was. That was a. Tr- I'm like, well, I, I. It's called in Bruges. There are two men in Bruges. Uh, sure did I really, deliver on the premise. I really can't complain. Like, <laughs> I was hoping to get a, a travelogue in Bruges, and I sure got what I paid for. Um, so that was that was one. But also, I was really interested to see how much. Now knowing what was going on, it didn't really change my experience of that first 20 minutes like there's definitely movies where like oh you discover the twist and now you go back and you see it in a different light and it's like oh whoa um but this one i don't think it i don't think it changed all that much i was like oh yeah this this all this makes sense they're they're still in bruges they're still just sightseeing i, I don't you know just notice that... more of the setups that's your only like advantage from going back and watching it like yeah i didn't notice all of that the first time and i got to really appreciate the the script work and the payoffs yeah. So the the script, but it, that's an intellectual exercise, right? Like it's not an emotional payoff. Like I didn't exactly. feel like I understood the characters in a different way. Whatever. Well, when I write my Oscar-nominated screenplay, I'm sure I'll be able to do both of those things at the same time. So not not a big deal. Yeah. No, it's probably pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it definitely couldn't get like fucked up by by other people in the no. production pipeline. No. Once you write a script, that's it. That's what people work from. <laughs> I feel if it feels like the right time to get into our final judgments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Appropriate Gavin? for a movie about purgatory. <laughs> I'm not going to let it die. <laughs> no, that's very good. Uh, Gavin, if we were to have some sort of uh, tiered ranking system uh, for how we felt about a movie, what 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 would it be? Pitch me something. Um, it'd be something like, is it still good? Is it better as a memory? Or should we shoot it in the neck and march it up a flight of stairs to the top of a clock tower and drop it into the town square of the middle of Bruges? That's what happens in the movie. Or, or (laughs) make it count to 10, jump out a window onto a boat and then shoot it at the calmest boat driver. <laughs> shoot at it while well, the calmest boat driver gives the slowest getaway ever. I do think that was one missed opportunity for a movie that's fundamentally about like people being shot through other people, is that boat driver should have died. <laughs> well, I just didn't, I didn't understand why Colin Farrell didn't, like, duck. Like, he just stood there, and he was like, no, he's too far, he can't possibly make the shot. I'm like, he's a hitman. Maybe he's still a little suicidal. Well, that is, yeah. I don't know. That is, I'm not. In, I'm not actually defending that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. go. I'll go ahead and start. Uh, there's, there's defending that moment. There's or, a or... thing. No, not defending that moment. Uh, there's a thing that one of my professors always hammered in is like the easiest way to to rate if a movie is great or not is a great movie is three great scenes and no bad scenes. Uh, I think this movie has bad scenes. I think there are parts of this movie that I want to go and reshoot. I think every time someone gets shot 
through another person. I think basically mm-hmm. every single one of those needed more time, needed a rewrite. The priest, the ending, and yes, Colin Farrell on the boat because I don't understand why he didn't go flat, why he didn't try to minimize himself. He could have tried and failed. Like something that doesn't make me just think like, oh, maybe you deserve to get shot. Um, that's not the judgment of the of the entire movie i I float i float back and forth between like is this still good and is it better as a memory because i do think this movie is good but it's also literally not as good as it was in my head like i don't remember disliking any part of this movie the last time i saw it with a much less critical eye and probably before if not during film school um i'm gonna fall in on still good but but narrowly I would call this still good. I don't necessarily know if it was great when it came out. Like, I don't remember absolutely loving the film. Like, there were some really interesting parts and then some things that didn't work. And I felt that was pretty consistent this time around. And, like, there's, there's definitely still things that I like about it. What I find really interesting about this film is it's a kind of cult classic. Like, everybody knows about it. But again, I don't think it's had a whole lot of impact on the culture I don't necessarily know that it's impacted like I have friends general. that quote this movie all the time. Yeah, and and, and in some ways speaking of It's just Paula. Is it is it good? I'm like I kind of gathered. In some ways this <laughs> reminded me of Boondock Saints in that like kind of came out in in roughly the same period of time. That's a movie I definitely have not gone back and seen because <laughs> those movies are literally 10 guaranteed. years apart, but sure. Guaranteed not good. Um, but uh, maybe movies that I watch—I don't know—in in that span of my life. Uh, the views of Paula on Boondock Saints are not necessarily the views of this podcast, but they might be. We'll see. What yeah, we, we have. We have. Boondock I haven't Saints. seen that, that movie. In that de- would in be one. But... Maybe that should be the fiftieth one that... because, like, there's nothing I'm more excited and nervous about to rewatch than a movie that I've loved my entire life, and all of my friends are like, "It's not very good." <laughs> That and wouldn't uh, it be, I feel like that's a tattoo you could have had aside from the Punisher one. That w- that would have been a fun one to have to deal with later in life. Sorry. All right, I'll get it covered up with a Boondock Saints tattoo. This <laughs> so that and honestly, Wedding Crashers, which I have very fond memories of, and I quoted it all the time. Ooh, yeah, and I am a hun- I I'm I'm just like nope, never watching that one again. I just don't want to think about yep 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 the implications. I would um, love to see it again. I don't- but what you guys are talking about. But uh, but yeah, I just I just think it's interesting that it feels like it. I don't know. It's it's very limited in scope. People people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I I know that one. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't I don't think it has a, a much wider impact on the culture. So, will it be here in fifty years? I don't know. Probably yeah. not. Probably not. <laughs> Let me answer that question. I mean the the ambitions aren't high. For sure. And it's it's a very indie movie, indie movie. And it succeeds at a lot of things. Um, to me, I think it suffered from coming out, first of all, when it did. Um, I was a freshman in college. I was going to film school, I think, I guess, at that point. I was still undeclared and um, being gatekept out by SF State because they I didn't declare pre-cinema. Mm. Uh, came in undeclared, and so they didn't want me in the department. But that I also being said, had to do an extra year when I transferred. <laughs> I didn't even transfer. I just you. came in undeclared because I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Yeah, but I did know how I felt about 
uh, movies, I guess. And I was hyped about this movie. I was very excited. Um, it has everything about it is the type of things that I love and it does so much very well. Um, but it didn't live up to a hype that I think I made for it. I don't think it was necessarily like the culture being like, this is the best fucking movie ever. I'm just like saw a trailer and I was like, this looks exciting. This looks like my kind of movie. This looks like everything I want. And like you were saying, Sage, it just doesn't quite live up to what I'd hoped it was. It's not a bad movie. It's a kind of frustrating movie because there are bad scenes in it. There is a bad score that really holds it back or not even necessarily bad. It's just the score doesn't work for me with the kind of movie that with the movie that what feels like it's trying to do. So I I'm going to give it a better as a memory, which makes very little sense. Uh, it's not something that people shouldn't watch. Like it, it is a good movie. It's got a lot of charm in it. The performances are all amazing. There's some wonderful scenes. Um, you know, I didn't rave about the cinematography, but it's not a bad looking movie. It's just, yeah. it just looks like an indie movie. Just everything about it just feels like it should be just a little bit better than it is. Yeah. But that and... being said, it's limited in scope. It's efficient. Like it's, it's, you know, it's just, I wish it was a little bit better. Yeah. It's um, no intermission is what you're saying. I, I love intermission. It's such a good movie. And we'll talk about that in its own episode because those are not, that's not fair to, to hold intermission up against most movies. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. I'm a little hard on it, but that's only because it's a movie that I want to love and I don't. Well, the good news for you, Gavin, is we have a chance to do it again because Paula and I jointly bought the rights to In Bruges. Whoa. So we've got all that sweet, sweet IBIP that we can cash in, um, which is which is good because I'm in a tremendous amount of debt. Yeah, so no, how do investment. we get Sage out of debt with our In Bruges IP? We do it in a section called... 48 episodes in, we don't have a fucking name for this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to reboot it, and we're going to play the reboot bumper, and it's going to go right now. We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screaming. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! And we're back. I hope you liked that. Paul, did you read the email? Do you do you know that we have a pitch section? I did, and I came okay, up with great. a pitch. In fact, Ooh. I was I was gonna ask, I'm like, if you didn't bring this up, I was like, no, I, I put <laughs> I put thirty seconds into this. You would better ask me um, what my pitch is. So I'm Man. ready. Task. Please, just well, just go. a reminder: you can go as as broad as you want. You can reboot it. You can requel it. You can turn it into a video game. You can uh, do a weird puppet theater. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, I do have debts to pay. Okay. Um, so going with my purgatory theme, I think the only sensible thing to do is, is essentially a sequel where we see Ray waking up and instead of purgatory, now he's in like an allegory or a metaphor for hell. And the title of the movie is called In Naples. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. I feel attacked because I am. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. You that's... all just witnessed an inside joke. 
<laughs> uh, Sage is a huge fan of, of Naples, and so I knew it's that the most interesting city in Europe. It's the opposite of Bruges. So yeah, that's that's what I would do. Actually, I would I would set it in in different cities, like off sort of off the beaten track cities in Europe. I guess it'd be like a Euro trip, if you will. Um, that that's how I would expand the the IP and reboot this, bring it back to life per se. Exterior Antwerp day. And you'd keep like a similar. Sorry, I have dogs in my house, and they're going. You, you have dogs in your house currently. Since when? Just for right now. Okay. Um, but you'd keep like the you'd keep the same characters. Just. I mean, well, the only one that really <laughs> you could only keep so many of the characters is is Ray. Unless I mean, like, I guess if we wanted to bring the characters back. And we're we're placing this in hell, right? Like you could probably do like flashbacks, or like uh, Ray would be dealing with the guilt, or like the PTSD, and so he would probably like see visions of of Ken and Harry as they'd like try and guide him to whatever whatever the revelation is um, at the end of the movie. That was not planned. Or... Then yes, yes. <laughs> or you follow the little person actor. Uh, on his career making independent movies throughout Europe and stumbling upon um, different hitmen who've all fucked up. <laughs> so, like, more of a more it's, of a prequel. It's like high. It's like high maintenance, except for instead of a weed dealer, it's an actor. Who... I would. I would also just watch like a version of this from that man's perspective. That like goes broader and like this is just a thing that intersects with his life, but also it you know ends it, and you just get like the companion. I forgot piece. that he dies at the end. Yeah, that's a good he point. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't know. Oh wait, his head I, is his missing. head is blown off. Yeah, like <laughs> there was the thing, one of it's, the worst payoff things is just like he got dumb dumb bullets that make people's head explode. Right, but I don't right. know how that would go through someone, and then I don't know. Well, it's because it, it only does it so not that he can't head recognize into it. a head. Yeah, the bullets know what body part they're in, and they only explode. <laughs> well, those bullets, heads. despite being named dum dums, are no dum dums. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, just That's a real it. quick roll tape <laughs> to to throw it out really quickly. Um, honestly, just rescore this movie. I, I think it would make me love this movie. That I, I think that I don't know if there's enough else that really needs changing. You just want a director's cut of this movie. Just, but yeah. you, you're the director. <laughs> I just want someone give me that. You know, like you know how they yeah, rescore Metropolis. Things. They rescore. Uh, I bet you could Nosferatu. slightly re-edit that boat sequence. It would be better. I bet. Yeah. If you took the original, fo- I don't know. I think. I think you know they probably the... have the footage of the boatman like looking back, going like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah. Just cut that in, and you just edit like gold. the bullet going into him, and then he's just like slumped over as the, as the boat comes yeah. in. <laughs> Boom! Fixed movie. I, I honestly, yeah, that's my my just rescore right. it. I definitely feel like that's that's cheating, but it's also the first time that we've just like fixed some things on the podcast as an answer. So I'll I'll let it go, but don't lean on that too much. <laughs> okay, I think that's right. I'll never do it again. No, yours is fine. I think I think a, a sequel to In Bruges like does need to. I, unless you're going wild with it, like it is following Colin Farrell as the one survivor, and there is, it would make sense for there to be some wacky dream sequences in it, just because the first movie, like the the movie within the movie, is all we see are dream sequences shot, and it just fits in with 
with the narrative, but that's not quite my pitch. It does start with Colin Farrell waking up, and he's, of course, a person of interest as the police don't know what's doing, so he's not allowed to leave Bruges. Um, and that's when the race war happens, <laughs> which has been expertly teased in the first one. That's right. It's the blacks and the whites and the Vietnamese. Wow. And well, the Vietnamese are on the side of the blacks. As, uh, yes, exactly. As the, uh, as I believe, the I believe states. everyone in that look, that's cocaine, man. <laughs> that's cocaine. I was on a lot of horse tranquilizers that day. I got, I that's, got one more quick pitch, if if I may. Absolutely, because mine was literally just race war, <laughs> Inverse race war edition. All right, <laughs> so, not a good idea, but I would watch it. Colin Farrell heals up. He's now a successful hitman. But, you know, the thing that he hasn't dealt with from his past is high school. And his Are you pitching gross point blank? Yes, I am. I I just snuck us into recommendations. I'm recommending gross point blank. It's a very delightful movie. Everyone should watch that. See, there's a movie I have not watched in like, I don't know, 20 years or something. And I remember enjoying it, but I don't don't know. I don't know if I would enjoy it. I, too, actually haven't seen it in a very long time, but I love that movie. It's such a good time. John Cusack. Maybe there's too many slurs in it. Maybe there's a lot of rampant homophobia that we don't think about. (laughs) Who knows? Awfully possible. Anyone else have a recommendation? Just This movie just gets mean in ways that aren't jokes anymore. At one point, Ralph Fiennes just calls someone a gay boy, and I'm just like, everything else you'd used had, like, some little bit of cleverness that, like, I could at least ignore how mean it was, and, like, that just did nothing. That's not a good punctuation at the end of the joke. Uh, So, do you want me to recommend a less or more homophobic movie than In Bruges? Hey, you know, it's your recommendation. (laughs) Uh, I think, God... I, I remember really liking The Guard, which his brother does. I don't remember a thing about that movie other than Brendan Gleeson plays a very mean Irish cop and Don Cheadle's in it. So that is my half-baked, half-remembered recommendation. Um, the best I'm going to go with, with one of two. An intermission. One of two. Uh, can, I'm going to go with a slightly weird European theme. Uh, one we actually mentioned earlier, it was The Lobster. Uh, which mm-hmm. also st- stars mm-hmm. Colin Farrell, and it's like a weird sci-fi dystopian movie um, in which you have to find your soulmate or you get turned into an animal. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a thing. Um, that's another movie where the first two thirds are strong, and then like the th- the final third, I was like, I've seen this before. Whatever. I, um, I love that movie. I, that movie know, works 100 really for movies. me, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, second movie is if you like being like trapped in one area and having like characters just talk to each other, there's a movie called Force Majeure and Mm -hmm. not, not the remake with like, I don't know, Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler or something like that, but the, the original Swedish film, um, in which a couple is at a, at a, at a ski resort and an avalanche avalanche happens and the husband like takes off leaving the family to fend for themselves and then it becomes this whole debate about like you should have stayed uh survival of the fittest what would you do in an emergency and how does that impact your relationships um so it feels like it feels like you could have an interesting movie night if you combined all all three of those the wildling from game of thrones is in that one i think that movie's norwegian i'm not sure is it norwegian it could be 
That both those movies have very fun fun to attempt to pronounce uh, directors' last names. I'm sure. Ruben Ostland. Uh, I I, I want to throw a quick bone to a movie no one thinks about called Dead Man Down, which is a a very fun like whodunit crime thing from uh, the director of the the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And uh, Colin Farrell barely says a word in the entire movie. Just stands there. He is there the smoldering. main character, and he just like yes, <laughs> that movie just exists on his smoldering intensity, and like the mystery unravels around him, and he just uh, just sits in the corner, looks hot, you know. Fair enough. Also, if Thank you, you want for a coming really, to our Colin Farrell fan cast, a really hot Colin Farrell performance, the Batman is still in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think that'll take us out. <laughs> Paula, do you? Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that you want to shout out to specifically? Uh, Any plugs? No, no. I think I, I. Well, I guess I guess if I'll I'll do a plug, uh, which is for the podcast that I run. It's called Work of Fiction, and what we do is we look at fictional organizations and leaders and bosses, and we critique them. So we just looked at uh, diversity and inclusion in the Suicide Squad. And I was just doing a podcast. I, I was in the studio, the my closet studio last week, <laughs> uh, and we were recording about Severance, which is the new series, oh, which is don't on. Don't spoil anything. I'm, so I'm not going to spoil it. it. Um, we we did the first three episodes, and we were talking about uh, ironically bringing your whole self to work and work life balance. <laughs> ah, ah, see what I did there? Uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, work 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 of fiction available wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you haven't started it yet, they it's not, it takes a few episodes to get going, but they just started um, Our Flag Means Death. That is on my list. That is, 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 that is, is on about my list. Someone trying yeah. to figure out how to be a pirate captain, just in terms of workspace uh, and community. Probably one worth checking out. Yeah, and no, always, I definitely want Fast to see Five, it. Fast Six, just do each Fast and Furious That's movie. That's true. Fair. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I forget how to end these, but I've been Gavin Murray. <laughs> I continue to be Sage Builderback. I am and will be Paula Sizzik. Sizzik, that's how you say it. We, we did it. Full circle. <laughs>